You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 121, Pornography, a Public Health Crisis, Part 1. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, we're back again for another episode. And on a recent show, we talked about the new anti-human trafficking certificate that is being offered through the Global Center for Women and Justice here at Vanguard University. And it is a fabulous opportunity for you to update your skills and expertise in the area of human trafficking, to broaden your knowledge base as you're doing listening to the show, and to keep up with changes in your field. And we're mentioning it again, Sandy, because uh, in just a few weeks, there's going to be a new cohort starting for the program. Group starts, yes. And I think the course that's going to start May 9th is the basic human trafficking course. It um, will cover the four P's of prevention, protection, prosecution, and partnership. And it's an eight-week format, all online. This last term, we had a student in Romania taking the aftercare course. You know, this is so great because um, one of the things that technology, speaking of podcasts, but so much of the technology that's out there now has allowed us to build cohorts of people who really care deeply about this issue and want to develop their skill set and be literally anywhere in the world. And it's so exciting to see that come together, Sandy, and so much of the work we're doing. And um, this podcast is just really over the years we've been doing it. Six years, Sandy, can you believe that? We've oh, been, my goodness. Uh, moving yeah. on to the podcast now. Um, really does, though, still just scratch the surface on what there is to learn. And so if you are uh, like us and wanting to really get into this more and it is the right time for you, I'd really encourage you to check it out. And the best way to do that is to go to vanguard.edu slash GCWJ. That stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice. And you just want to check out the, the link on the left-hand side there that says Anti-Human Trafficking Certificate. And that will uh, get you everything you need to know about applying and the program and the logistics and everything that's involved. All right. Very good. Well, speaking of uh, of getting into topics, Sandy, one of the things that we have always tried to do on this show is to look at trafficking for, through the, a very broad lens of not just uh, uh, the traditional things we think of when we think of trafficking, but to really look at businesses and organizations and partnerships and society and culture and so many different things that are part of that conversation. And one aspect of that conversation that's important, and we have talked about on the show before, is pornography. And we've even done a couple of episodes on it. And uh, there's some new things happening and some new um, things that people are saying about pornography, both uh, both in culturally, but also just formally, as far as some of the things we're seeing in the legislature is happening. And so we thought it'd be a good time to re-enter this conversation and to talk more about 
pornography and how it's related to trafficking because there is a connection sandy isn't there i'm i'm really interested in beginning to understand better the connections to human trafficking i i think um last summer I had a little more time to read, and I started catching up on some of the research. And one of the things that motivated me to do that was um, a hearing that was held on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. in July. And during that hearing, there were several speakers um, representing experts in the field, and the, they started using the term a public health crisis. Well, before you can start framing something as a public health crisis, you, find, you have to find out what is actually happening. And the, the, um, the industry itself of pornography have r- resisted um, some claims of, of harm and have claimed First Amendment rights, and and this is a, a victimless um, uh, pursuit, uh, all kinds of different things. So, so going back and visiting what happened on Capitol Hill and who was presenting, that was quite an interesting um, review. Here's here's some examples. Uh, the one of the experts, uh, Dines, Dr. Dines, Dr. Gail Dines suggested that 36% of the internet is pornography, 40 million regular consumers in the U.S. alone, and porn sites get more visitors than the combined clicks on Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter. Wow. It just leaves you speechless. Probably, though, the most um, disturbing report were the reports were the focus on children and how early children are exposed to pornography. I feel like we've had some of this conversation before on the show, Sandy, and I know I've certainly read about it if we haven't had it on the show of just some of the studies that have been done on what kids understand at a very young age as far as just terminology about sex and yeah. Um, and sexual acts and things like that, that it, it, it does not seem like a generation ago was something that was as much of a, I'm, I'm sure there were kids a generation ago, but it was not as prevalent as it is today. And that is really um, alarming from thinking as a parent of like, our, our children are too young to be surfing on the internet yet, but it's not going to be that much longer until um, they are. And thinking about like, how do we, approach that uh, as a family, even not well, just from a public health standpoint. Dr. Um, uh, Layden, who's a psychotherapist and director of education at the Center for Cognitive Therapy at University of Pennsylvania, shares your concerns, Dad. She um, said the media feeds kids the message that sex is casual. Your, your, your prime time sitcom, your movies... Um, even PG rated. So the idea she suggested is that um, the message of it being sec- um, casual is that it isn't intimate and it has nothing to do with marriage or long-term commitment. And that then, according to her research, has revealed an increased use of porn that's related to higher psychopath scores. Now that's scary. Because 
if if I listen to the proponents of First Amendment rights, um, if this is something that doesn't impact me or my community or my family, then it's not my business. But when a University of Pennsylvania psychotherapist is revealing research that says these are higher psychopath scores, that's that's a concern because I want my kids and I want my community to be safe. And I'm curious, what are some of the other things that research is starting to overturn as far as uh, the relationship between, and I think that I'm, I, I know I'm just not educated well on this, Sandy, is where the where the connection points are between pornography and trafficking and where we see those things. And I, I can imagine where some of those connections are, but I don't really know like what the research is saying. Can you, is there anything that's been said recently that helps to navigate some of that yet? Well, some of the, at that particular hearing, I mean, they had a lot of experts. One is one of my favorites, Dr. Sharon Cooper, who is a developmental and forensic pediatrician who has worked with children who have been sexually exploited and was the leading uh, forensic um, uh, expert witness for the FBI in most of the early cases of commercial sexual exploitation of children. And she, um, she reported that in her experience investigating and examining these children who had been abused in porn films, they didn't tell anyone what happened to them. And upon further um, understanding, she explained that they felt great guilt and shame, and that the perpetrators convinced the child that what happened was their fault. Mm. So, from if you go back to Dr. Layden's psychotherapy um, paradigm, you're looking at kids who are going to have some major issues as they enter society. And how are we? How are we prepared? It it was interesting too because the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, um, they also had representatives there, and were concerned that the porn addiction is a is a slippery slope to abuse and sexual exploitation, and we have documented case studies of children who were exposed at a very early age to pornography, and then that was part of grooming them to abuse them. The um, One of my favorite researchers, um, Dr. Melissa Farley, also was at this particular hearing, and her, her quote at that event was, porn is prostitution that's legalized as long as you get to take a picture. Hmm, interesting. And I, one of the things that I'm wondering about, and I suspect there are people in our audience who are wondering about too, Sandy, is the, um, you know, I think that a lot of people frame how they think about something like pornography and children involved differently than they think about um, pornography in adults yes. and, and quote unquote consenting adults. And we've, uh, we've had this conversation on the show before too. How does that play out with, um, with you know once the legal barriers are different as far as age and adults and and trafficking um do we see situations where trafficking is very clearly involved or is it a um or is it a different kind of relationship i'm just curious how the how the conversation is evolving around that 
Well, we're, we're getting more research that makes those connections. And one of the um, leading advocates about women escaping being commercially sexually exploited um, in the porn industry is Harmony Dust. And she's been on, on our show she before has, as yeah. well. And so, so we are putting more of those links together. I think, though, that we also are trying to understand why it drives demand. And, and you know, we can leave the children out of this and just look at adult issues and adult victims. And a neurosurgeon at the University of Texas was also one of those uh, presenting at this hearing. Um, his concern was that the public has looked at porn as a First Amendment freedom of speech issue rather than a health issue. And his research demonstrates that pornography is biologically addictive. And so his research, and this should be of major concern for any listeners that um, might be struggling with this addiction and need to find out how to how to um, be re- be. I, I'm not even sure how how you. We have to talk to addiction specialists, but his. His research found that porn watching may lead to shrinking of the brain. And um, he made some very um, specific statements that it does. Um, but I, I, um, I want to see um, corroboration before I would state it as an absolute fact. But those are some of the risk factors. And of course, another one of our favorites, um, Ernie Allen, who was the former president and CEO of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, does bring us back to the issue of children because w- the research does show us that addictions for pornography often begin when chil- when um, the watcher is, is still in an um, adolescent or early childhood um, age. And he points out that because their brains aren't fully developed and they're being bombarded with pornographic images, um, that makes the gateway to addiction uh, much broader for mm, them. Interesting. So it's it's helpful to think about this not just as a you know a adult versus child situation, but I think you mentioned something that's really key of like um, ex- depending on a person's age and exposure, that really does change how they think about not only pornography, but sex and human relationships and all the other things that go along with this. Well, it's, um, it's absolutely astounding because when I talk about some of these, um, these seem like broad generalizations um, that were brought, that was in July. Then um, what brought this back into the news this week is the state of Utah, actually they, their House of Representatives became the first legislative body in the United States to pass a resolution declaring pornography a public health hazard leading to a broad spectrum of individual and public health impacts and societal harms. And so when I looked at that, I thought, wow, uh, what are they basing that on? And uh, when you start digging, it's interesting because the porn industry itself helps provide some of the big data statistics that were used in some of the, um, some of the reports. For instance, um, they, they talked about um, they, they have a, 
a website called Pornhub. And at Pornhub, they, I don't even know, what is a petabyte? A petabyte. Their bandwidth used. I can never remember all those different. I mean, uh, it's bigger than a gigabyte. It's bigger than a terabyte. So it's the next level. One thousand be more than that. I'll look it up while you're talking. Okay, one thousand eight hundred ninety-two petabytes. That's their bandwidth, and they stream seventy-five gigabytes per second. They said that's like filling all of the storage on all iPhones sold in two thousand fifteen with porn. It's four trillion. 392,486,000, I don't know, hours of porn. That's two and a half times longer than Homo sapiens have been on Earth. That's 12 videos viewed per person on Earth. Wow. Those are huge, huge numbers. And, and when, when you look at this 21.2 billion visits, two and a half million per hour, Six and six point seven thousand per second. Then the numbers are just blow me away. I don't have any any way to even make that. I get excited if I see a thousand of something. So yeah. those numbers are meaningless to me because they're so huge. They are, and I think you framed it already better than the definition would give us. Ten to the fifteenth bytes of data, a, a thousand, a million gigabytes is a is a peta, petabyte. That's a lot. Well, it's and, really a lot. And why is that a problem? Why is that a problem? It's a business, right? Mm-hmm. And but the problem begins to be more um, relevant when you look at how um, the Republican-led House of Representatives framed this. And even though it was Republican-led, um, this passed. And so they looked at 40 years of peer-reviewed research. So this isn't just um, one little conservative group. And even the the hearing um, on Capitol Hill included um, well-known university researchers. So the statistics, though, that they're using have been provided by the industry itself. And I, I think that's... That's relevant. Someone actually um, drew a parallel for our conversation today back to when we first started talking with um, the big tobacco industries. And we wanted to um, reduce the incidence of, of smoking because of the cancer risk, right? So now here we are looking at health risks associated with pornography. But the risks that they're talking about are are even bigger and they use studies um, meta-analysis of 22 studies between 1978 and 2014 and and I I want to point out how deep the research has gone because so many people think that this is something that is a moral issue and reframing it as a public health issue is a direction that is being led. It started in that conversation in July 2015 in Washington, D.C., and now in Utah, the first resolution to state this publicly. And the research is 
peer-reviewed in December 2015, a meta-analysis of pornography consumption and actual acts of sexual aggression in general population. This is in the Journal of Communication, uh, February 2016. If you're a student And I have students who call me and ask me, what should I be doing research on? Now we need to take this kind of research and see how it correlates to um, human trafficking and particularly in sex trafficking. And when when I'm looking at um, internet pornography's reports, uh, one particular report uh, that was um, published by Dr. Layden that we mentioned earlier from Pennsylvania and Dr. Eberstadt, um, they they put together a list of of impact on just youth, and so much of what I do, being in a university environment, is about what are we doing to protect our youth. And they've found that um, searches for teen porn, according to Google, two thousand fourteen, tripled between two thousand five and two thousand thirteen. Wow, tripled, and. And one of the things that I I often hear parents is, well, I don't let my kids have a computer in their bedrooms. That's one of their protection techniques. And actually, that's very commendable and it does help. But now the statistics show 59% of porn searches are on a smartphone. Or mobile device or tablet or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so. Are you turning the wireless off at your house? I actually heard that as well. And so the the 14-year-old um, uh, just tapped into the wireless next door. They figured out how to do that. Or got on the cellular network or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, it kind of goes back to um, some of our conversation we've had, Sandy, before on thinking about things like just teaching your children to cross the street and face danger mm. in everyday life is you don't, you don't, um, as a parent, at least most people don't, you know, teach your children like, oh, you know, the streets are horrible and they're dangerous and you never cross them. You teach them how to navigate crossing the street safely. And I think about this issue the same way as you're not going to, there are some really great tools that can help, but you're not going to turn on or get a service or put a block at somewhere that is going to magically solve this problem exactly. for you as a parent and as a family and as, as a human being is it's it's more it's how do we how do we navigate a world where these things are there and how do you approach it in such a way with the right values and the right um, expectations and rules that are going to guide behavior within a household or within a family and or within the community yeah yeah and and that's kind of where i think this conversation is moving because we're looking at risks of sexually aggressive behavior and that is one of the contributing factors of the impact of pornography on our communities increasing risk of sexually aggressive behavior now that that term includes rape it includes sexual harassment in the workplace. It includes um, uh, derogatory remarks, uh, verbal, verbally abusive behavior. But I, I think at the same time um, that we're talking about this in the context of our greater community, we have to start asking what it looks like in 
in our young adult and adolescent population. I was surprised to find that 28% of girls ages 12 to 15 use sexually explicit pornography. I, I couldn't even begin to, to get my head around that. 53% of boys and 28% of girls. So uh, we, we have to get rid of some of our preconceived notions that we need dads to talk to their sons. And we need the men in, in um, Boy Scouts or, or the men in your church to talk to the young men. We need to talk to the young women as well. We need to talk to the girls as well. When we don't have a conversation, then they're going to do what they have learned to do. If you want to know how long is the Nile River, the first if I mention that in class, students pick up their smartphones and look it up and somebody's got the answer before I finish my next sentence. Mm-hmm. So if they have a question about sexuality, they're going to look it up. And we we just um, we haven't we haven't gotten in front of that. And that's an area that we need to. Yeah. And um, I had a guest on one of my podcasts a while back, Sandy, who talked about, we were talking about the difference in generations in the workplace. And one of the, um, one of the distinctions he made is this is the first generation of workers coming to the workplace who have not needed to look to an authority figure to get knowledge or information on something that they have had access to knowledge or information from the internet um, for most of their lives, because that's just where they find information. And so, that dynamic's also really interesting here too in that um you know in you know a generation ago you had to find an adult or or, or figure out a way to get access to some of these things or or you or, or do that subversively or whatever the way kids would do it nowadays it's so simple for kids to get access and so we haven't caught up as a society on how we handle that and a lot of families and parents haven't caught up on how do we because we didn't grow up in that world Exactly. And, and uh, when, when they do surveys on parents and what they've done, um, it, very few have, in, less than a quarter, have installed software on their computers. And many of them don't even know how to set the, the, um, the settings on a smartphone for a child. One of, the, one, of the, um, one of the webinars that's coming up April 21st, and we'll put a link in the show notes, is a wonderful webinar from Pure Hope. It's featured by the Religious Alliance Against Pornography, is parenting in um, a sexualized um, world. And, And there'll be some really great tips for how to protect your kids. That's April 21st, and we'll we'll put a link so that you can register. It's a one hour webinar. And I recommend that every parent sign on to watch that. And speaking of great tips, we are going to do a part two to this show and look more specifically at the public health crisis aspects of the Sandy as we've started to hit on in this conversation. And so uh, that's our next conversation coming on the very next episode. So we'll get into this even more. Um, I I just appreciate you bringing all this research here and, and helping us to understand some of the statistics, what's going on. It's it's scary, and uh, a knowledge about these things helps us to then make better decisions about what we can do and, and why this is really a public health crisis. So we'll do more on that in the next episode. In the meantime, um, stay connected with us, and one of the great ways you can do that is to visit us online, as we were talking about earlier, 
um, at vanguard.edu slash GCWJ. And you can certainly find information there about the anti-human trafficking certificate, but there's a lot of other information there too. All of our past podcasts are there, resources on the website, a place you can sign up for uh, the newsletter so you can stay up to date on what Sandy's doing. We've got a Facebook page that's linked there. Uh, if you'd like to, however you'd like to engage with us, we'd like to stay connected with you. So be sure to do that. Again, that's vanguard.edu slash GCWJ. And we'll be back in two weeks for our follow-up conversation, Sandy, part two here on why this is a public health crisis. So stay tuned for more coming on the next episode. Thank you, Dave Sahoviak. Thanks, Sandy. Have a great day. Take care.